The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The record ramp for stocks and the one question that matters most to your money. Are we now poised for a big end-of-year rally? We're all thinking about it. We'll ask several of the world's top investors that very question today. Ricky Sandler, Keith Meister, Nancy Davis, and Mario Gabelli all joining us exclusively this hour, along, of course, with the Investment Committee. Let's begin with the check on stocks. Right around record highs, 35,494 is where the Dow is. A loss of a third of a percent. S&P's flat. NASDAQ is positive today. We always check yields on the 10-year. We're at one 66. So we're creeping up uh, just a little bit on yields this week. Let's welcome in now our first headliner of the day. He is Ricky Sandler. He is the founder, CEO and CIO of Eminence Capital. Welcome back. It's good to see you again. It's good to see you, too, Scott. Appreciate you. I can see you. (laughs) Well, I could I could see you. I hope you can hear me. Um, hear you, and, yeah. and hopefully we'll, we'll get this figured out. Uh, Ricky, it's been a while, right? You were last with us um, in March. OK, yep. you told us then you weren't as bullish as you were the prior year. You said clearly some parts of the market are extended and overvalued and that you're seeing some signs of behavior that is less healthy. As I said, entering this segment here, we're basically at record highs. How do you see the market today? Um, well, I, I see the market as, as still constructive from a high level. Um, I think when you when you look at at where interest rates are, when you look at uh, negative real interest rates that are close to 1%, uh, an economy that still looks generally healthy broadly, um, it's hard to be too negative. Um, I'd say we're, we're still slightly leaning constructively and, and slightly longer than, than average, um, but not, not exuberant. Um, I think below the surface, you're going to start to see a lot more dispersion. Um, we're later in the cycle, later in the, in the economic cycle. Um, you're starting to see a lot more earnings-related pressure starting to build. Uh, fiscal cliff is, is coming. Uh, so I think consumer-related pressures, particularly at the low end, are going to start to build. Uh, you're going to start to see a lot more um, uh, pressures in the margins of companies. So up and down the P&L, wage pressures, supply chain pressures, um, uh, pressures on, on, on materials costs. Um, tax rates are going to go up next year. Uh, you certainly have a, a Biden administration that, that seems to be a lot less business friendly. So um, we're, we think there'll be a lot more dispersion mm-hmm. and, and maybe market sort of grinds a little higher here, um, but um, uh, maybe a good environment for stock pickers. It's, it's interesting. I, I have your, your newest letter um, right in front of me. It's uh, dated from yesterday. And you list a lot of the risks that you just laid out for all of our viewers But you do counter those with a number of positives. You've got still the cheap cost of capital. We still have to fully reopen. The consumer's very strong. Companies have pricing power. And there's still a lot of cheap businesses out there. My question to you is, do all of those positives carry enough weight to outweigh the the risks? You know, I think I think at a broad level, I, I think they do, and and maybe just just moderately, um, and so I, th- I think that's why we still have a slightly above average exposure, and I, and I wouldn't be sort of ringing alarm bells that that I want to kind of jump off the train and and get negative on stocks here. Um, when when I look at um, uh, negative real interest rates of, of negative one, if you look at inflation expectations at the ten year level, um, they're they're two point six percent, and and we have a, a ten year bond at 1.66 at a five-year level, uh, they're 2.8%. So you get 
you know, negative returns if you invest in bonds. Um, why not invest in companies that offer you uh, pricing power and, and reasonable earnings yields? Um, so, so I think stocks are still um, kind of the place to be. Um, but, but as I said, you got to be more selective and there's going to be earnings related pressures. And um, we, we have a number of risks, as, as, as I laid out before. So if, if inflation is a principal risk, and I'm sure you heard what Paul Tudor Jones had to say on the network yesterday. I had David Einhorn with me yesterday, Carl Icahn the other day. Talked a lot about, you know, the, the inflationary pressures that are, that are out there. You say in, in your letter you're expecting more volatility, but not a dramatic Decline. So are you less worried about the inflation issue as some of the others that you've probably heard on the network this week? Uh, no, I'm, I'm very worried about the inflation uh, picture. And I, and I think um, we are we are dealing with it in a couple of ways. One is, you know, narrowing the, the list of companies that we own, making sure we own sort of good businesses, businesses we think that will be able to price for the inflation um, and and where uh, we think they'll be able to either pass their costs on or where they don't really have uh, inflationary pressures in their business. Um, and then um, we, we're, we're short some businesses where we think uh, they may not have those um, same benefits. And, and we're also uh, short some fixed income and, and, and the Treasury market uh, as, as a natural hedge against uh, where, where I think um, uh stocks are are valued off of uh, the risk-free rate here. Can we do some stock picking um, in in the abbreviated time that we have? I I see number one on your list is Ashland Global. Um, I don't know if it's ranked by your largest positions to the smallest. Is that one of your largest positions? It is one of our largest positions, yes. Yeah. Can you tell me why it's attractive to you? Yes. Um, so, so Ashland Global um, has been in the midst of a, of a transformation under a new CEO, uh, Guillermo Novo. Um, and and uh, Ashland is, is in the specialty additives business, um, really attractive uh, part of the specialty chemicals business. Um, these are um, uh, low cost products that go into life sciences and consumer products that give uh, these products, um, their uh, properties, uh, whether it's binding properties, color, taste, smell. Um, and, uh, and he has uh, just announced recently the sale of uh, one major business and, and been investing more in the growth areas uh, of this, uh, uh, this sector, more in the uh, consumer products part and the life sciences part of the business. Um, we think it's an incredibly attractive business that should grow mid-single digits with margin expansion. Uh, It trades at uh, about 10 times uh, EBITDA here, um, where peers trade 15 to 20 times. I think it would be attractive to strategic uh, partners. Um, We have a very capable leader uh, with non-cyclical growth at at very attractive prices. Midway through the list of, let's say, your top 10 uh, holdings, what jumps out to me is a auto dealer basket, as you call it. Uh, Asbury Auto, Group One, Auto Nation. Um, we know what's happened with you know auto sales, obviously over the last eighteen months or so. Is that to play into the strength in that industry? Yes. Well, it, it, you know, I, I mentioned this when I was on your show the last time. I, I mentioned Auto Nation uh, back in March. Um, we own uh, a group of them because they're, they're none of them are particularly large cap. Um, but um, number one, um, we think that these are very uh, misunderstood businesses. Um, they're mostly service centers um, where about 70 percent of their profits come from the service of your car, which will never be disrupted. Uh, and um, that has secular tailwinds as cars get more complex, as people come back to the dealers more, as uh, brands um, offer extended service plans and and want to protect their brands more. And so um, that has more uh, secular tailwinds for the dealers. So so that's a business that we think grows five, six, seven percent. These are stocks that that trade at at six or seven times earnings. So really cheap stocks. I think they're slightly over earning based on the shortage of cars right now. And and so we think as as that normalizes, um, they're still very, very cheap stocks. And I and I think um, people perceive these to be sort of low margin uh, businesses that could get disrupted by, um, you know, the, the Internet. But but they're really franchise businesses, local monopolies um, that that sell you a car and then service it. And, and we think are, are very misperceived businesses and, and have proven that um, in the downturn have just been a very resilient 
businesses and, and have good secular growth at very attractive prices. Let's squeeze in a couple more if we could. New Relic, I have as number two yeah. uh, on my yeah. list, and I don't think we've talked about it before. Yeah, I think I think New Relic um, is, is probably one of my uh, uh, most favorite ideas right here. Hmm. Um, it is a, a SaaS business, a software business um, that is in the application performance monitoring and observability business. So um, this is software that monitors the infrastructure of, of an enterprise. And so um, as every enterprise um, moves more of its business to um, digital uh, infrastructure, this makes sure that, that it's uh, its its infrastructure is running, allows it to observe it. As, as more of this infrastructure is critical, as customers are pinging its infrastructure, more is, is sales-oriented, e-commerce-oriented. Um, the the observability space uh, is, is one that, that is growing. So uh, historically, maybe 10 or 20% of your infrastructure you monitored, that is continuing to grow. And so there's big secular growth in this space. Datadog is the leader in the space, or at least the perceived leader. New Relic used to be the perceived leader, has, um, I'd say, fell behind several years ago on, on some product features. Um, we think they have caught up. Um, uh, about two years ago, released a new product product set, um, and then more recently um, released um, a new go-to-market strategy where, where they are um, more pricing their product on a usage basis rather than a per-seat basis. <clears throat> that has caused some noise in the numbers, um, and, and so the growth rate of both of those things um, caused the growth rate to slow down from maybe the mid-30s to uh, uh, low double digits, uh, troughing at about 9% two quarters ago. It has just started to accelerate, um, and, and we think they will um, be re Accelerating back to 20 plus percent growth as we, as we exit this year into next year. Um, New Relic trades at like five times revenue compared to peers that trade at 15, 20, 25 times revenue. Um, and, and this is something we observe in the market more broadly. Um, there's basically winner, loser, and the winner could trade at 50 times revenue and the loser trades at five times revenue. And the truth is a lot more in, in the middle. And we think New Relic is a terrific company um, that has actually found its way. And, and we expect the results as, as they report them over the next several quarters to prove um, that, that this is far from um, a troubled company. In fact, it's 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 caught up to its competitors from a technology standpoint. Um, and so there's a significant re-rating we see um, from, from the current level to maybe triple where it's trading at today. I appreciate you being here to help celebrate our 10th. Ricky, we'll talk to you again yeah. soon, and hopefully we'll do it for Scott, longer next time. congratulations on the show, and thanks for having me on. Thank you so much uh, for being here. That's Ricky Sandler of Eminence. Now let's welcome in Corvex's Keith Meister. He joins us once again. It's good to see you. Welcome back. Hey, Scott. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm um, good. Thanks. So you were here in August where you said, I don't think I'm as bullish today because the taper's coming. Um, it's closer. It's getting ever closer. So does that mean you're even less bullish today? I think when we chatted in August, we were constructive on risk assets. I think I sort of said it's hard to be bearish. Um, there's so much liquidity in the system. And the risk would be, does inflation come? And we were long stocks and our hedge was long commodities and short rates. I think we're in the same position today we were, were several months ago. The markets continue to go up. We're getting closer to taper. We're getting closer to the 2022 fiscal cliff. But the, 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 the core economy is doing really, really well. And the, the debate everyone wants to have on, on your network is inflation. It sure is. And the discussion is very binary. It, either there is or isn't. It's either transitory or it's you know pernicious or it's persistent. And my guess is that's a question of definition, meaning over the next 12 months, my guess is there's going to be a lot of false positives where inflation does feel like it's more persistent. We're seeing it today. And whether it ends up, you know, being persistent or not, you know, I don't think anyone actually knows today. My guess is it doesn't because of technology and demographics being very, very deflationary and a lot of the things that are happening in 2021 being one time and those burning off in 2022, but we'll see. But in this environment, you know, I think Ricky said it really well. Um, inflation is not bad for all stocks. Mm -hmm. It's bad for a handful. It, it, it's, it's a lot worse for a handful of stocks. It's worse for stocks that don't have moats and don't have pricing power. So we want to own businesses that are high quality businesses with strong balance sheets that can, you know, ha have a product where they can pass on price and have real nominal earnings growth in the world, even if there's inflation. So if you say, 
do I want to buy the S&P at, you know, just under 5% free cash flow yield? Or do I want to buy bonds at a one point, you know, the 10-year bond at a 1.67% yield? I know that um, my, my, my S&P companies, if you look at the biggest S&P companies, you know, the top four companies, I think, make up 20% of the index, right. the, the Amazon, the Apples, the Facebook, they're going to grow earnings, you know, at 15 to 20% a year for the next five years. Do I want to own that at a 5% yield and have a positive real return? Or do I want to buy bonds to make a 1.6% return and have 4 or 5% inflation in the world where you have real inflation and guarantee I lose capital? It seems to me the obvious trade is still to own equities, but really focus on quality. I, I see. Well, and let's focus on quality because I do see a new position. I, I don't think we've talked about this, and I'm not sure if people know about it. Five nine is that a new position? F I V N the ticker. Sure, this is a new investment for us, and, and and hopefully a great example of taking advantage of a of a market dislocation to buy an amazing business at an attractive price. So back in July, Five Nine agreed to be acquired by Zoom in an all-stock deal. They thought they were selling the company for about $210 a share. Um, since they announced that deal, they've reported second quarter numbers plus filed their 10-year business plan and a proxy. The current numbers are great. The business, I think, was growing just under 40%. And they provided you know, 10-year guidance of being a long-term 30-plus percent top-line grower with gross margins going from 65% to 75%. This is a contact center software business. There's 15 million contact center agents globally, and only 10% of them are in the cloud today. One of the things that COVID proved is we're going to have more distributed workforces. People are going to want to use contact centers more to engage their clients. So a SaaS contact center business like Five9 went from probably being a 25% structural grower pre-COVID to being a 35% type structural grower post-COVID. Along the way, they entered into what they thought was a one plus one equals more than two merger with Zoom to become a dominant unified communications company. And then there was a little hiccup. Um, Zoom, which is a phenomenal company, but hard to value because, you know, it's become a verb. It's had amazing growth because of COVID. Sure. Went from 600 million to 4 billion of revenue. What's it worth? And as um, some of the early small mid-sized business cohort churned off as the world reopened, higher than the market expected. Zoom stock went down, you know, 25-ish percent from the time the deal was uh, 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 signed to prior to the shareholder vote. So what happened was five, nine shareholders woke up and thought they were selling the business for $210 a share. And by the time you got to the vote, it was approximately uh, $140, $150. Both sides did the responsible thing. The ISS, Glass Lewis came out, didn't support the deal. I think investors, you know, were, were pretty clear to the to the five nine management team who did the courageous thing, and, and walked away and said, you know, this this may have been a good deal in a, in a different world. We need a different path forward. So they they mutually agreed to terminate the deal. I think on September thirtieth, mm -hmm. we 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 bought a lot of stock in five nine as that was becoming obvious with a view we got to buy a great business at a dislocated price, and in the fullness of time, you know, five nine is going to report earnings on November eighth. They're going to have an analyst day on November 18th. I'm not sure if earnings will be better than expected. If you know, it's not a call on earnings whatsoever. But I do know by November 18th, when they've said, "Here's our five-year plan. This is a great business with 30-plus percent growth, with real pricing power, and it's trading at a very much discounted value because of the noise of the Zoom merger." So we took advantage, and I think we're getting into you know a, a market where. Um, take finding idiosyncratic opportunities mm -hmm. is, is going to be better than just making a macro call. So this is a great example. L of that. Let me ask you, um, let's try and make some news if I could, before I let you run. You're on the board of MGM. You're on the board of Bet MGM, and you're a shareholder of Entain. So I understand you may be restricted somewhat in what you can say, but I'm going to push you anyway. And I know you're smiling and blushing because you know what's coming. Do you expect DraftKings to formally make an offer for Intain. Let, let me ask you first and foremost, because they just got an extension. So, so um, you know, I'm going to be careful what I say based on, on your buildup. And I don't know what will happen, you know, whether DraftKings and Intain will ultimately get to it, the finish line on a transaction or not. Ultimately, that's going to be determined by the DraftKings and the Intain board. What, what I do know is what MGM has said publicly, which is, you know, we, we think the BetMGM business is doing amazingly well, and we want to own more of that business, not less of that business. Any transaction between DraftKings and Entain will require MGM's consent. 
And if um, they they know, you know, I think they know that we're not going to stand in the way if we can, you know, achieve our objective of owning more of that MGM. We're not going to be the reason a transaction between Entain and DraftKings does or doesn't happen. But ultimately, that's up to their respective boards. But regardless of whether that transaction does or doesn't happen, why all this is is being discussed in the marketplace is online sports betting and iGaming has really gone has really taken off in this country and globally. And you know, I commend the BetMGM team and MGM and Entain for setting up this business that's been massively well positioned to take advantage of it. So this was a business that did not exist two years ago. Um, you know, Goldman Sachs put out a report, I think last week saying sports betting and iGaming in 2033 will be a $50 billion TAM. Uh, BetMGM has publicly said we expect to have 20% plus market share. Today in the states where we do business, we have about a 24% market share through August and TAM put out that data last week. The September data for Pennsylvania, Michigan, New Jersey shows that the market share has gone up. We're making about 35% market share in iGaming and you know high teens in sports betting in, in those states in September data that's public. Mm-hmm. So to say that we're going to have a 20% market share at BetMGM is not a stretch. That's what the management team put out at its analyst day. So a $50 billion market where we have a 20% market share at maturity is a $10 billion revenue stream. We've guided to this business, we being the BetMGM management team, being long-term a 30-plus percent margin business. So this is a $3 billion profit pool that didn't exist for MGM 18 months ago. And MGM owns half this business today. We'd love to own more. But even owning half, if there is no deal between DraftKings and Entain, we're really, really well positioned. We can afford to be patient and you know help you know drive growth at BetMGM. And the last point I'll make about this is the vision of an omni-channel experience, I think, is what's working while owning and controlling tech stack. So the ability to market to the 30, almost 30 million people in the MGM database, if you go online and you bet, you can win points to go to the Bellagio or go to a Lady Gaga concert. All of that integrated experience sort of ultimately, you know, I think I've heard Barry Diller say it on the air here, can help position MGM as sort of this global online end um, offline gaming company, very much sort of like what Disney's doing in media, MGM can do in in the global yeah. gaming world, both offline and online. And I do believe over time, the omni-channel offering is going to be a great differentiator. All right. You gave me more on that than I expected. And I thank you for that. And I know our viewers do as well. Thanks for being here, Keith. It's good to see you as always. Thanks, Scott. And congratulations. All right. That's Keith Meister. Thanks so much of Corvex. Still ahead. On the half, our investment committee is here along with Quadratic Capital's Nancy Davis. We're going to get her best idea along with Mario Gabelli, he's going to join us as well. The legendary sports announcer, Al Michaels, he's back with us today as well. And we're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. All right, let's welcome in our investment committee now. Brenda Vangelo is here along with Jim Labenthal, Josh Brown, and John Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Also with us is Quadratic Capital's Nancy Davis, who's going to tell us her best idea in the market as well. It's nice to see you, Nancy. Thank you for being a part of this as well. So, Jim Labenthal, let's just react to what we just heard from uh, Mr. Meister and Sandler. Yeah, there are risks. We all get the risks, but it's awfully hard to be overly negative given where real rates are. I think that's the headline. I I think that's exactly right. And, you know, what I heard from them, it helped me crystallize something in my mind. I've been saying for quite some time that we're early in an economic expansion. And and frankly, Scott, we may be moving into the mid-cycle of the economic expansion. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just acknowledging that it's been a year and a half since the recession. If I ask myself, as I do, what can keep this going? I I do think the Fed is a non-issue right now. I think what comes out of Congress over the next month or so is 
really what will tell us if this early economic phase continues or if we get into more of a mid-cycle. Because if you get just that bipartisan infrastructure deal, that's enough to kind of juice earnings, juice economic activity and revenue throughout 2022. I don't know what the reconciliation bill is going to do, but there's at least talk of taxes it not maybe not even being existent, maybe not being raised, that is, um, all of which would be positive in terms of extending this economic cycle. Now, I want to be super careful, all right? Relying on Congress is not a good investment strategy. All I'm talking about here is whether the early phase of this economic expansion continues or if we mature into something that's more mid-cycle, which will still be good for stocks, but will necessitate far more stock picking, which is what I heard from both of our guests this morning. Okay, so Nancy Davis, you are, I, I will say, um, one of the best when it comes to volatility, an, an expert in that, in that area, understanding how markets react to various situations. How do you see things today relative to what you've heard from some of the biggest and smartest investors around? Well, the volatility market is agreeing with all of the market commentary from your CIO panel as well as your other guests. The market is saying, you know, things are are very good. Vol is very low across all asset classes and markets are very calm. Um, the question is whether markets uh, are right and whether there's more turbulence coming but it's not priced in right now to volatility markets. Volatility markets are very, very complacent about the future. What, what draws me from the way that you see things at Quadratic is, is you had an ETF, or you have, uh, called the IVOL, I-V-O-L, which basically bets on inflation-driven volatility. It took in about $3.5 billion in assets. But now you have a new ETF that's betting on deflation. Does that mean that your own personal view has changed? No, um, I do think inflation is something that all investors should have in their portfolio. It's not really something that I think people should take a bet on, um, whether it's transitory or not. We do live in a real world, and I think inflation protection is an important component in investors' portfolio. And IVOL is a uh, treasuries with inflation protection plus another measure of inflation beyond the consumer price index. Um, what BNDD is, BNDD is the ticker, that is a policy mistake um, deflationary fund. In case the Fed, right now there are five hikes that have been priced into the front end of the yield curve. So five hikes before the end of 2023. I personally think that if the Fed hikes five times or more, that will likely topple the uh, real economy into a, into a low growth deflationary environment. So the BNDD fund is for investors who think inflation is transitory, that low growth is going to happen. And it's kind of very contrarian right now because most of the market expects there to be a lot of growth. And eyeball is really a TIPS, a treasury plus inflation uh, protected bonds plus fund. So it accesses another measure of inflation beyond just CPI. Interesting. Josh Brown, how do you see things relative to what you've heard on the program already? Well, I think there's a lot of talk about inflation as though it's a negative thing. But the Fed has spent the last 10 years telling us they were literally trying to bring inflation about. So now we have it. We don't <laughs> like the reason for it. It involves supply shocks uh, and things that uh, really were a long time coming beneath the surface even before the pandemic. So I'm not really listening to most of the commentary, the hysterical commentary. Um, I think the smartest person on what's going on right now is Jeff Curry. I listened to him uh, talk about this idea that COVID was really an accelerator. The reality is capital returns in anything commodity related, whether it's oil, uh, gas, fracking, mining, were horrific for like 15 years since 2007, 2008. Capital returns in that sector led to lower investment. We're just not investing there anymore because nobody's making money there. Now, all of a sudden, you see stock prices rising for copper stocks, for gas stocks, for oil stocks. And you talk to the CEOs of these companies, why aren't you drilling more? And they were saying point blank, how about I just let my stock price go up a little bit? I don't get rewarded for uh, adding capacity I get rewarded for my stock price rising and for my cash flow growing. That's why they're not in a rush. 
to come in and add capacity with all of these constraints we have. And that psychology could persist for a while before they bite the bullet and say, all right, let's add some capacity now. So I think that they're obsessed with their share prices. They should be. This sector, the energy sector, shrunk to less than 2% of the S&P. 35 years ago, it was 20%. So those stocks are going to rise. Supply will be constrained. Nobody is rushing into the rescue. And Max Payne might be a few months from now. Mm. Like We might not even be in it yet. But you have to be able to see through that and to recognize that globally, somebody is going to – it won't be an ESG fund – but somebody's going to come in with the money to add capacity and take advantage of these shortages. You have to be smart enough to know that that's how these things always end. So I would not be loading up a portfolio with catastrophic inflation insurance just yet. Historically, a moderate amount of inflation has been good. Hopefully, that's what we'll eventually get back to. The best inflation hedge in existence are stocks themselves, uh, REITs as well. And if you're really worried about deflation, well, that's what Treasury bonds are for. Dr. J, I'd love to hear your reaction to what Nancy had to say about volatility, uh, which, in, you know, as she said, is, is not showing up uh, in any way, as we know, really, in the market, as you, you track as closely as anybody, too. Right. Um, and Nancy, as usual, is spot on. Um, you know, we're back down to the 13th of August lows right now for volatility, Scott. That's the spot VIX is down around 15, 20 or something like that. Um, when vols get this low, that's when Pete and I are putting on option spreads and getting out of stocks, quite frankly. And I have been doing that. Uh, that doesn't mean we're getting short. That just means that the odds favor us being in those cheaper option spreads when the vol is the other direction which happens very quickly, of course. We go into the 20s and even into the mid to high 20s very quickly after we've hit lows like this. If that happens again on this cycle, we would do the same as we always do. We would be buying stocks because there's blood in the streets and selling that pumped up vol. So it's constantly getting us to shift back and forth. And uh, I think you take advantage of what the market gives you as far as overconfidence or as far as fear. So right now, like Nancy said, um, it's either overconfidence or sanguine about what's going on. And usually we get disrupted by something. CNBC has been running you know, headlines all day about inflation and so forth. And perhaps it's that, but it could be something else. Scott. It's funny you use the word sanguine. And I, I wrote that word down because it's what I'm thinking about and the way that, you know, things have calmed down, Brenda. Um, we do have a, a relatively sanguine environment. We're sitting at new highs. We have all these risks that people are coming on all week with us and elsewhere on the network and, and talking about. How do you parse it all out? Yeah, well, I think we have to look at the earnings backdrop. And right in the here and now, you know, we've had two strong earnings quarters this year so far that were phenomenally better than expected. So far, third quarter earnings are better than expected, too, although it's still early, I would say. And we still haven't heard from a lot of companies with supply chains, uh, but those we have heard from, it sounds like it's not as it's more manageable than I think people thought it might be coming into this quarter. So I think that's the backdrop of solid fundamentals. Also, of course, the interest rate environment that everyone's talked about just leaves little um, little option for money uh, to move elsewhere. But I'll, I'll piggyback on Josh's comments a little bit because I do think that one of the bigger risks in our view is that part of the inflation story, and that is the commodity price inflation story, is likely going to be more persistent than we'd like it to be. Because as much as uh, we might see companies finally step up and start producing more, although I'll say because of the ESG influence and the whole world shifting to renewable energy, there's this huge disincentive for companies to invest in, in more production um, of fossil fuels specifically. And we're seeing it trickle down throughout the commodity complex mm -hmm. and resulting in higher prices everywhere. So we think that is a risk uh, that we could see more persistent high prices. And that impacts a lot of things, not just commodities, but their inputs to a lot of different things. Um, so we think that could be a more persistent area of inflation that could ultimately end up hurting the consumer a little bit. Nancy Davis, leave me with a, a quick thought, if, if you would, a last word. Um, is the risk more to the upside or downside for the, for the stock market right now? 
Um, I think the risk is very unknown for the stock market. I think looking at the commodity prices, they've already moved higher. And commodities, I think, are, you know, it's 1980s, 1970s inflation. There's no scarcity at all. It's just a question of uh, the shocks that's happening right now. I think looking at the rates market is a more simplistic way to look at inflation expectations and forget, you know, I personally don't think commodities are going to work like they did in the 70s because that was the oil embargo. Now, um, the whole commodity space is very deflationary. It's like the laptop, you know, I'm, I'm uh, enjoying this conversation with you on. It's cheaper, easier, the U.S. is energy independent. So I think I would caution investors to just look outside of the commodity market, look at other measures, think about what's going to happen in the future, not what happened in the past. Thank you so much for being a part of our special week. It's been good talking to you. We'll see you again soon. Congratulations on 10 years. Uh, thank you so much. That's Nancy Davis, Quadratic, joining us there. Mario Gabelli, he's up next with his best ideas in this market. California has committed to cutting greenhouse gas emissions by 40% by 2030 and becoming carbon neutral by 2045. In order to reach those goals, Southern California Edison estimates that 50% of single-family homes in the state will have to be solar-powered. Companies with existing agreements that could be long-term beneficiaries include Generac, SunPower, and SunRun. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. We're joined now by super investor Mario Gabelli. Mr. Gabelli, welcome back to Halftime. Nice to see you again. Great to be on it with you and your team. Let me ask you, how do you see the markets today? I haven't heard from you in a while, so I'm interested in your view. Well, we basically look at stocks with a microscope, look at the earnings, but we also talk to managements. And for the first time in probably the 1970s, am I hearing individuals that I talk to at run companies saying, you know, we we're able to get a price increase much easier than we thought. All they want to know is, can we supply? And so those are the logistics. You're seeing inventories bid up. And so from that point of view of revenues, the real growth plus nominal increases, you're seeing significant revenues. You're seeing the gross margin maintenance in dollars, but some erosion. But that's going to be taken care of. It depends whether you're a LIFO, FIFO accounting and some other dynamics. And also some companies anticipated what they're going to need in supply. And so they bought and hedged. Those are running off. So they're now going in for price increases. SGNA is not rising as much as revenues. So you have an increase in pre-tax profits. Then with the question you have to ask is book taxes are going up and cash taxes are going up independent of what's going to happen with a tax rate. As an example, I, I bought equipment in 19 in 2016, I'm writing it off slowly. That gives me a tax deduction. After 2018 or right now, I get 100% write-off. So those are some of the elements. Uh, from the stock market's point of view, the big kahuna for me is obviously what's the multiple. And uh, I'm in the camp of those that expects uh, inflation to continue. And as a result of that, rates go up. And over the next five or 10 years, you'll just have a fairly significant headwind on a multiple. Ah, so the, uh, mul so the multiple. OK, so you expect the multiple. I mean, it's like a Paul Tudor Jones was talking about. If that happens, if rates go up significantly, the multiple on the S&P needs to come in considerably from where it is today to maybe well, you not, know, 16, 17 yeah. times. He, he, he was talking about that. I, I don't have a number. I'm, I'm sure he's done more quant work bottoms up than I would do. But we're looking at company specifics and we're saying, do they have pricing power? How mm -hmm. do I preserve my clients wealth? How do I preserve in an inflationary environment, what companies have earnings power, what management, for example, genuine parts is management has gone through this in the 1970s. They understand inflation. They then which companies have LIFO, FIFO accounting? What's the difference? Uh, so that's the benefit of taking cost accounting 60 years ago. Or whatever. <laughs> All right. So you I know you like genuine parts and you just mentioned it out of the no, auto no, space. No. So let me let me talk about a couple of other companies. Um, I know you know how tight we are on time. Yeah, no, I'll be quick. I, I thought it was interesting, though, how, how you've actually been adding to some of your positions in, in the market when it, MSG. I don't know if you were at the garden last night, Mario, but it was uh, electric. Come on, that, that game was double overtime. It lasted forever. Madison yeah, Square it. Garden. You, you, yeah, you take a category, Scott. It's financial engineering. Madison Square Garden has been split off from cable, blah, 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 and they did a lot. The stock's 185. We think Jimmy sells it somewhere in the next year and a half at 250. And uh, 
you tune in for games like that are important. Then don't ignore the other one. The Braves. The Braves. This is a baseball. The Atlanta Braves are public. You could buy the shares in a tracking stock, and I believe Malone and Maffei will sell the company somewhere in the next two years. The stock is 27 with 60 million shares. Uh, they control the vote. My clients and others who buy it are buying a tracking stock. I think that could be unwound. And you're going to get a $45 stock with 60 million shares. It's only $2.5 billion. They own this, the uh, franchises. So I like that. In part, you'll see more betting on sports. They'll benefit from that over time. There's some lag effects to the way they're structured. But that should be positive. Well, the stock's moving higher. All right. So at the beginning of the week, I spoke with Carl Icahn. He was here. We talked about Southwest Gas. You've been a shareholder for 30 years, which I did not realize. He doesn't like the deal. He's obviously made that clear. Who's right? Do you want the deal uh, with the pipeline or not? They're both right. Here's the way I would no, structure no, you. Are you and Switzerland I, I, now? Uh, I can solve, uh, you know, Taiwan, China next. Independent of that, the stock is six, has got uh, 60 million shares. The stock is 70, let's call it that way, 4.2 billion. They own a business that's going to benefit from infrastructure spending called Centuri. I want them not to spin it off. I want them to sell a portion in the market and take that cash and use that to buy Questar. So when Proforma, when I do the math and I run the models and anybody can have it, including Carl and also Hester, John, uh, and I'll be there in two weeks visiting with them. Basically, what you see is a company with four and a half billion dollars of debt and about uh, uh, one point four billion in the utility business. And they'll own 80 percent or some fraction thereof of uh, a very attractive business in a construction business. Carl is right. He will uh, basically kind of get them to focus on how to do financial engineering. Uh, He's done he's already on the board of uh, First Energy and he also had gambling casinos in Las Vegas. So he knows that market quite well. Uh, On the other side of the coin, the management could buy this company and just finance it better than they're thinking of doing, which is selling stock, which makes no sense. So you think a transaction may happen, just not in the form that it originally seemed to you know, be suggested. Is that is that fair? And you're going to be the peacemaker Listen, the, between Carl I, and the CEO. No, I the point is that if I was doing this in Beijing, I would have a problem. Uh, but I'm doing it in the United States where the free market, the rule of law and Carl Icahn, you, you have to have individuals like that focusing on companies so that we can, you know, have a point of view. Now, I, you know, some of his style may be different than what I would do. We'll talk to you soon, Mario. I appreciate you being with us this week. Thanks so much. Well, I've got a whole bunch of other financial engineers. I'll just kick the names off that you should. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll do it quickly. Vivendi is $11, 11 euros. You're going to double your money. Televisa is $12. You've got the Latino market, Latinx market. And uh, Case New Holland is splitting up. And at 17, it's going to go to 25 over the next couple of years. Thank you. All right. Our, our producers will tweet those out to make sure that everybody got those and the tickers. Mario, always appreciate it. And 10 years from now, Scott, on your next 20 years, the Dow will be 80,000, which is a 7.2 percent CAGA. Well, you've made people really happy suggesting that. We'll see what happens. Mario, thank you. As we do celebrate Halftime's 10-year anniversary, we've been joined by some of our longtime friends. One of those is the famed sports announcer, Al Michaels, and he will join us next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, let's bring in Emmy Award winner, Hall of Fame sports broadcaster, friend of this program, which we are grateful for, Mr. Al Michaels. Good to see you, buddy. Thanks for being here as part of this. 
happy 10th. Man, friend of the program, you guys, this is the best show on television. My best to you, to Josh, to Farmer Jim, to the brothers, to Shannon, to Bryn, to everybody. And I want you to know, even when I'm playing golf, you're streaming in my back pocket. So, <laughs> you're a, love you're, you guys. You're a good man, um, and it's mutual, believe me. Uh, how you feeling about the market these days? Good or, or nervous? Pretty good. I mean, uh, after a little bit of a you know mini meltdown a couple of weeks ago, we're right back. Uh, uh, not today. And, and by the way, Judge, every time you have me on the show, the market is down. So I put the gabosh on the market, but I'm sure it'll be up tomorrow. Anyway, feeling pretty good about it. And, um, you know, I, I see uh, I see good things ahead. I don't see inflation being that big of a problem, though some people obviously do. But uh, I basically listen to you guys for all the advice that I need. I know you you listen to Josh a lot and you, you like what he has to say. Do you have a, a specific question for him about something in your portfolio? I know you were in KKR. There was some news there recently. That, yeah, that's uh, you know, I mean, they, they set up a perfect succession plan with George Roberts, you know, uh, sort of retiring. But I'm sure he'll be involved to some degree. Here's a question for any for, for Josh. I mean, I'm the kind of guy back in you know, 1992 and I'm starting to invest and I, I, I buy Big Blue, I buy IBM. And it's one of those things where it's up and it's down and it's all over the place, especially during the uh, Rometty era. And I keep saying, you know, I wake up in the morning, I say, I got to get rid of this thing. And I should have gotten rid of it yesterday, of course. It's, it's down about 10 bucks today. But I mean, wh- where do you see IBM over the next few years? Because it's one of those things where I, I, I see it, it's in the thick portfolio every day for 25 years, and I just have to keep it. Josh, it's yours. I mean, I you mean, heard, you heard even... uh, Chanos on our air earlier this week. Um, he's a bear. He's short. He gave you all the reasons why. Uh, Josh, how, what, what would you tell Al? So declining revenue for 10 years, Al. Th- this company has not been able to figure out how to turn this battleship in a decade. Actually, it's been in a downtrend, the stock price, since March of 2013, Coincidentally, March of 2013 is when the S&P 500 finally broke out to a new high from before the, the, uh, the, the great financial crisis. So this stock has been going in the opposite direction of pretty much every technology stock in existence uh, and the overall market since March of, of 2013. So every day would have been a great day to sell it. Think about how long ago that was. Breaking Bad was still on the air. We were listening to Gangnam Style in, in, March, in March of 2013. So, uh, look, if Chanos is right, he's saying IBM is overstating its earnings by 50%. So I, look, that's not my area of expertise. But if he's right, the stock is going much lower. Um, I understand the value guys like it. It's cheap. It's, it's been cheap. It's been getting cheaper. And I don't know that this brand is on the verge of resurrecting itself. It reminds me a lot of General Electric, actually. So I would not be in it. I know nobody likes to sell a stock at a 10-year low. Um, I just can't find anything good to say about it. And not even the 5%. Uh, other than that, other than that, it's nice. Josh, <laughs> knowing that, I've just pressed sell. That's it. <laughs> Al, so you, got, you got the Colts and the Niners uh, this Sunday night. The biggest surprise to you thus far this season's what? How good the Cowboys look? or What, what, what jumps out to you? Cowboys, number one, and Arizona, number two. Mm. They've had an easy one this week. They should be 7-0. So Kyle Murray, is, uh, he's sensational. Uh, a lot of fun to watch. And all of a sudden, this is a team that you have to watch. The Arizona Cardinals, who've only been to, to one Super Bowl in 2008 when they came very close to beating Pittsburgh but lost at the end. Uh, they've got it going. They really do. So, I mean, but, and Dallas with Dak Prescott, too. I mean, remember, the only game they've lost is the game we had on – opening night in Tampa, and they almost won that game. Yeah. So together, and uh, they're back, and they got they have Dan Quinn as the defensive coordinator. That's made a big difference. But I'll tell you what, the, the games, and you know that this, Judge, because you're a big uh, football fan. I can't remember a season where they're more exciting games coming down to the end than this year. It is just wild. It has been great. Um, we've enjoyed watching. We always enjoy watching you. Colts, Niners, Sunday night, we'll be there. Again, thank you so much for being part of this. Good luck, guys. Another 10 to you. All right. We appreciate that. That's Al Michaels. Doc, unusual activity. I'm curious, too. Pinterest, PayPal, you see anything in that? Oh, yeah. Pinterest, uh, on your show, Scott, we brought out those uh, calls that were bought at the 55 strike that expire tomorrow. They were paying 30 cents for those calls, Scott. 
They went to $11 yesterday. That was about a $12 million windfall for whoever the 12,000 call buyers were that jumped in there and bought all those calls. Makes you scratch your head a little bit and think maybe somebody knew something. Um, as far as uh, an unusual for today, Scott, Didi, uh, D-I-D-I, of course, Chinese Uber. Um, this one uh, is getting a lot of love. The November 11 calls are being bought in big numbers. Um, those Chinese Internet stocks, as well as some of these technology plays in China, have turned around. This is one that we're in right now. And then uh, just Intel quickly, Scott, they're mainly buying puts because they're not seeing that big upside speculation in calls. Um, that's for Intel today. It's trading about 57% puts. Mm. Nothing's terribly big, though, in Intel. Yeah, earnings coming up. All right, Doc, we appreciate that. We'll do final trades, and we'll do it next. Oh, we're going to go out with a bang tomorrow. We have a big lineup of guests. Appaloosa's David Tepper, Loop Capitals, Jim Reynolds, Michael Ovitz, and Double Lines, Jeffrey Gundlach. Noon tomorrow. Please don't miss that. Brenda, kick us off. Final trades. Well, Brenda's frozen. Farmer Jim, Mr. All In. Yeah, you know, here's a stock I don't talk about that much, Home Depot. Um, I bought it in January of this year. It's actually done nothing but gone straight up, despite the fact that the housing market has been of question. Well, today's existing home sales gave no question that there's going to be a lot of renovating going on, and that's going to be to Home uh, Depot's benefit. Over Lowe's. You prefer it over Lowe's? I do. I do. Okay. Dr. J. Uh, Under Armour, Scott, UAA, they're buying the next week expiration next Friday, 21 calls. I bought those just before the show went on air. Oh, OK. So some more unusual activity, as we as we call it. Josh Brown. Yes, sir. Uh, CrowdStrike very quietly up 10 percent in the last month. Looks like it's going to challenge that 286 high. Um, I don't see any reason why it couldn't get through. I'm long. I love the story. All right. We apologize that Brenda's shot froze, but her pick is right on the top of your screen. It is Walt Disney. That does it for us. Again, another big show tomorrow. Hope all of you will join us then. That does it for us. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.